Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. I was counseling um, a guy a few months ago, single guy, but in his 30s, and <laughs> sorry, let me. They have to I have to unveil it. So he said he was he was a single guy in his 30s, uh, not single. When I mean single, he wasn't married, but he was actually in a relationship. And so we got to the part of, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 we got to the part of sex, and I was asking him, how is he, I said, ah, pastor, no, that one. Uh, it's hard now, that look at him, he's in his 30s. So it goes on to explain how the Bible's view about sex, first of all, that we have often misread it. He said that was a coping mechanism at that time, but doesn't fit into this time. I quickly told him that was a load of bullocks, give whatever word it is. And then I said, I think the problem is how you grew up in church and all of that, that you feel that the Bible's view of sex is unrealistic, it's prudish, it doesn't, it doesn't, how can it, it doesn't work. Uh, this view that says that it's not even meant to be enjoyed. Sex in some ways is a bad thing. It's only meant to be used for procreation. He said, exactly, that's it. This view about the Bible, everything about sex is always bad. It's always bad. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So I asked him if he had read um, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, where it speaks um, sexually and passionately about, um, Solomon speaks sexually and passionately about his wife's breasts. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruits. May your breast be like the clusters of grapes on the vine. The fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Some people said, oh, you see, this thing, it, it's symbolic. You see, breast is about, um, it's about provision, it's about health, it's about wealth. And so when he's saying that, he's talking about how we will be milked with the breasts of the Lord's abundance because El Shaddai means the fully breasted one. That's not what Solomon was saying. Don't forget, this is the guy that had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was talking exactly what, what exactly you think he's saying is exactly what he's saying. It is a passionate love song which details the interaction between two lovers. And also, you have um, the wife's, uh, or the bride, well, she was the bride that eventually became the wife. You have her friends also there. So it's an interaction between the three. By the way, this is where your King James doesn't help. If you get something like NIV or ESV, you see he, she, friends. So you can know, uh, so that, you know when we used to say that Jesus is the lily of the valley? I mean, you, by the time you read that, you realize that it's not even the man that is saying, you know, it just is the woman that is the lily of the valleys, and if the church is the woman, 
just don't go in with an over-spiritualized view of this. Read it as a song that it is. It's a passionate love song. It charts the relationship between a man and a woman from dating, courtship, marriage, and then sex. Now, I should say this. As you already noticed, the language is graphic, intentionally graphic. Don't be too more, more holy than the Bible. Remember, we are reading from the Bible, isn't it? But yet, unlike in pornographic material, it is not lewd and it's not inappropriate. There is a certain elegance and dignity that it carries with it, and it sits within the boundaries of biblical norms, and it is not untrue to our experiences. Amen? In other words, what I'm saying is this. Part of the reason why there has been a view of sex within the Christian church that seems oppressive is because it is oppressive. It's because that view is actually unbiblical. Where when we want to say anything, just even to say that word, I said breast, it's like, ah, you know, you can't really say it. As though all through our lives, we are not wasting people with breasts, just normally. It's true, right? So the Bible, we find, is actually more, um, what's the word, more authentic about our lives than we are normally. And when we seek to be, quote, unquote, more of, um, sensorial than the Bible, you end up bringing out laws, bringing out commands that are actually not good for human beings. Amen? And so I want us to look at this because if Genesis gives us the design for intimacy, as we read in the beginning, if Genesis gives us the design for intimacy, the Song of Songs gives us the ideal of intimacy. Now, I don't want you to miss that because when we read some of the passages we'll read here, it is poetic language that is intentionally hyperbolic. In fact, I don't think that some of the things that, that is said here, I don't think that is exactly how Solomon actually experienced it. <laughs> because if that was the case, well, that guy was a bad guy. <laughs> like, and you just live like, ah, no, it's impossible to express it. No, it's poetic language. It is giving us an ideal scenario. And then it invites us, an ideal scenario for intimacy. And then it invites us to strive towards that ideal. Amen? So Genesis gives us the design, the starting point. But Songs of Solomon then gives us the ideal for which we can strive for. Now, remember we said in the first talk that intimacy is not something that is given. Intimacy is worked for. That you actually try to, you, you work to achieve it. And there are five descriptors that we used. One of the things we are going to now see when we look at those five descriptors is that Solomon will show us that you don't rush this thing. Because it's, men and, it's a man and a woman that is involved. You don't rush intimacy. It's not something that you rush. It's something you fight for. It's something that you build around. But it's something that can be totally rewarding. And again, I'm happy that people who are not married are here because we don't have time to, to go through everything. But you will see that the book actually, it, it charts the course of not just people who are married. Those who are in a relationship are going towards that. And so the intimacy starts to build from there, but it sets it within the biblical norms. So let's start with those five. The first one, intimacy requires presence. As I said, the prerequisite, the first prerequisite for intimacy is presence. Now, we don't start off just being present with one another. That's not our default mode. Actually, we're away. 
And so if I am not, if there has been a distance, um, an absence to, um, towards my spouse, what am I meant to do? I'm meant to move, isn't it? There should be motion. If I'm not present with my spouse, there should be motion towards them so that I can be present. So in verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 7 to 8, notice this interaction. I'll read 1, 7 to 8 and 3, 1 to 3, and then 2, verse 8. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends, a veiled woman, that is, why should I be like one who is veiled away from you, away from your presence, beside the flocks of your friends? That isn't where I belong. So where do you graze your flock? Chapter 3, verse 1. All night, when she realized we are not together, all night on my bed, I looked for the one that my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. Did she end there? No, this is what I will do. I will get up now and go about the city. Through its streets and squares, I will search motion. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? And then eventually, in chapter 2, verse 8, here's what happens. He says... Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. You see, if we are not intentional about being present, it will not happen. Now, I'm not talking about the day, just the daily routine that takes you back home. Remember what I said. Even though you are meant to go back home, you can decide, eh, I don't want to spend time in traffic, so I'm going to stay at work till 10 o'clock so that there's no traffic. By the time you get home, your wife is already asleep. Or by the time you get home, your husband is already asleep. But also I said, if we're not careful, and look, many studies are showing this thing, we are far too naive about smartphones and the hold they have over us. We are far too naive about smartphones. I know this because when I'm in church, I see people on their smartphones now, it's different because some people say, Femi, you're always on your smartphone. No, I'm writing what I'm going to see, right? It's different. <laughs> but you see people on their smartphone just checking their Instagram page whilst we're praying. Whilst we're praying. Whilst the word is going on, checking another Twitter notification. And so if we're not careful and not being intentional about being present, it will not happen. Did you see this woman? She realized that he's not here. She didn't say, I'm just going to wait for him to come back. It wasn't, she wasn't passive in trying to establish the pre uh, presence between both of them. She said, I will search. Eventually, she didn't find him the first time. I will continue. It didn't come in the night. Oh, in my bed, I will look for him. She went and she asked people until she saw him coming. She was moving towards him, and he was moving towards her. For many of us who are lacking in our intim in, uh, intimacy, in our marriages, because you feel he's just not here, I'm just not here. What about what you are doing? You just say, well, you know, he's going about his own thing. Call him. Come back home. Where are you? Let me meet up with you. It means sometimes when we are together at home, can you drop your phones when talking to each other? No matter how much you think you can multitask, it doesn't happen. Finish on the phone. Drop the phone this way. Put your phone on silent, one. 
and then put the phone this way. You know, if you put your phone on silent and put it face down, you know you won't know what's happening. iPhone. Yeah, that's why Samsung is rubbish. Better to be blue than green. Ah, no, city trust, we are green. Okay, no. Drop your phones when talking to each other. The whole world is not going to, is not going to go to, 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 to bits because you didn't see that notification. It means that at times you will not, because you are talking to your spouse, because you want to be fully present, a phone call is coming. Not every phone call is urgent. I cannot understand this about us and phones. I, I, this is an aside. I remember once going to our facility manager, going to the office. I carried these two legs, these two legs. Went to the office. I needed something. As I'm talking to the person, somebody is calling and she's dealing with another uh, person within the estate. So these are pet peeves of mine. I don't like bad customer service. So she dropped. I said, who was that? She said, somebody estate. I said, what's the difference between that person and me? She said, what do you mean? She said, ah, the person called. Eh -eh. I came. The person called. Which one is more important? And sometimes that's it. There's a false sense of urgency that we have because somebody is calling. I must answer the phone. No, look at your spouse that is present with you. Be fully there. You don't have to answer every call including Pastor Femi's own. But if you don't, he'll get back to you. <laughs> you can make a special whatever for me, all right. Okay, no, you don't have to. But it's true. My staff don't like answering my calls. Belumi doesn't answer my call on her off day. It started very small, but now it is happening all the time. It's true. I sent him one text at 3 something yesterday. He replied me at 12 midnight. They are trying to show their independence. Boy, it's all right. <laughs> now, if they can do that for me, why can't we do that for others when you have your spouse? Guard the time jealously. For those of you who can afford it, it means, it means before the year comes, schedule times in the year where you'll be alone with each other. If possible, without your children, if they are at least old enough. Don't go abroad and then Fill the time with visiting friends all over so that really you are never actually alone. It means spending extra time outside where, it means not spending extra time outside where unnecessary. If you don't have to, after you have finished visiting your friends, when you guys go out, don't allow the ex, you know when you are, uh, let me see you off. You know not just see off. <laughs> it's another one hour we spend there. You don't have to. Go back home. Guys, we have to move towards our spouses so that we can be fully present with them. Move towards them geographically, but move towards them with your mind and with your heart. If you do this, you start to sow the seeds of intimacy because intimacy is about closeness. So where we need presence, we need motion from both parties. Second thing is openness. This one I won't quote from Song of Solomon. I think Genesis 2.25 is really helpful. Remember, after he says the two of them shall be united and then that they, they will now become one flesh, it then says that Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. In other words, there was a comfortable level of vulnerability between each other. They were open to each other, no secrets. 
They were naked, fully exposed, but like, I'm comfortable here. No shame. And this leads us to something very profound about sex. Sex, as I said, is, is a very revealing act. Look at it. They are both naked. So physically, there's nothing that Adam knows about. There's nothing that Eve knows about herself physically, just from the outside that Adam doesn't know. He knows her fully. And vice versa. There was nothing that Adam knew about himself physically. She could see him. But also, if you then go into the activity of sex, notice that the, man, um, the man's sexual organs are shaped in such a way that he gives, isn't it? Whereas the woman's sexual organ is shaped in such a way that she receives. Now, for her to receive, she must first be what? Open. In fact, what is rape? Rape is when the man is trying to give and the woman doesn't want to receive. When the man is trying, forcibly tries to give when she is not open. And so for you to have some kind of intimacy, you need to respect this dynamic between being open and receiving. It works both in sex but also outside of sex. If you are trying, if you are saying, I'm open to you, let us talk. Let us discuss about this thing. And the person is not giving back to you. There is going to be a problem. When somebody has decided to be open, to be vulnerable, to say, this is me. Remember, when Adam saw her, he said, mine, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She's come out of me. Many times in the book of, you know, Song of Songs, he says, that my beloved, I am my beloved, and my beloved is what? Mine. I open myself to you because I have given myself to you. There is a certain level of possession we have of each other. Paul says, the man's body does not belong to him. It belongs to what? The wife. And in the same way. And so he's saying, look, this is me. I belong to you. So I open myself up. If we want to be intimate with each other, we have to learn to be open. Now, I understand some of us have been hurt. I understand. But let me tell you, the solution to, your, to the situation you find yourself by being closed is not to close yourself even further. The solution is we have to find a way where trust can be restored and hope can be restored in such a way that you open because if you don't, if you don't open, you really cannot receive. So you have to be open, despite your past hurt. Open up, in fact, one of the ways, if you are in that situation, one of the ways you can restore this thing is those fears that you have, those fears, those hurts that you have, open up to your spouse. There's such a wonderful thing about the ambitions that you have. Some of us are maybe too scared that if I talk about this ambition, would this person think I'm too greedy? Would this person think that I'm... Maybe this person will say that I'm not good enough. No, open up about your ambitions. Open up about your sin. Far too often, as spouses, we are so well aware about our, our other spouse's sin. And quite often, I've seen this. What gets to couples, why they get to impasses is that you listen to two of them, and the problem they have is that that person committed that sin, and that person still hasn't acknowledged it. And what's that one is saying that? That one is always saying, she too also commits. Oh, she said that one. Did she tell you about this other one? 
rather than keep pointing out the other person's own, stop concealing yours. Open up about your sin. Open up about your fears. Open up about your ambition. Open up about your sins. Open up about your work. Let your, your, your spouse know about your family. Open up. Because without opening, you cannot receive. And without receiving, you cannot be intimate. But this works the other way around, too. In the third one, engagement. There's constant dialogue you find between both of them in this book. Some of it is short. Some of it is long. If one party opens up and the other party is not giving, then they too feel rejected. You see, Solomon Solomon is a master. We'll see a little bit of it. But Solomon understands. Remember I said that you cannot rush this thing. Someone understood that for us to get to, let's just call it El Dorado, El, El Dorado, have you? To New Jerusalem, to Nirvana. For us to get there, there has to be romance. And we'll get to that very soon. There has to be romance. But for there to be romance, romance, romance it assumes that there is what? Engagement. I want to ask us, how frequent are our engagements? Some of us want to, like somebody, I remember in my former church, I, I do agree that you should schedule sex, right, sometimes. But this man, he felt he used to work hard, provide for the family. So this is how we used to say it. It's about, he's had breakfast, he's going to the farm, and he don't go to his wife. I'm a meat lineal. I feel it can. You can, you can explain it. Amami literally means we are going to meet today. So, and you know, it goes out very, very, almost like, ah, since when? Today. Today is happening. Let's just say, in terms of engagement, he's a minimalist. But you see, ladies don't get there that quickly. Men, yes, and that's how we're wired. But ladies don't get there that quickly. You can't just... Summon yourself and just come in. You know, I don't know how many of us watch Renta Ghost. You know, just come in. Mm, come in here. And, yeah, yeah, let's do. That's not respecting. What kind of engagement have you had? What kind of intimacy have you been building? Just in your verbal, in your verbal communication beforehand. Or let me put it another way. What is the frequency of your engagement? Remember I said some people, their lives are just all about Let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. You know, it's a very, very transactional way of going about their relationship. But do you have long conversations or do you have, and do you have short conversations? Next year we're going to, this one is intimacy, but next year we're going to do a series by God's grace on intimacy with God. But one of the things you do see is that in the Bible is that there are different types of prayer. There's long prayers and there are short prayers. So what kind of, what is the frequency of your engagement? It would be nice as couples if, I don't know, I'm, I'm plucking an arbitrary number. But let's say if I look at your text messaging, the way everything is arranged, that if I look every three hours, I expect, or let me not say every three hours, every six hours, I expect that somehow your spouse will have come back to the top. You know what I mean? Right? Your spouse will have come back to the top within every six hours. To be honest, no boast. That's how it is with my wife and I. 
It's almost like, hey, just funny thing. In fact, sometimes we are bombarding ourselves with too many messages. I saw this thing, it made me laugh. Oh, this person called me, you sent. Oh, this, when is the food ready? Oh, you're, you are constantly engaging. It not only depicts a certain level of closeness, it's driving you together. But sometimes, short conversations are not enough. Let us talk about this long-term issue. Are we sure we are doing well in terms of how we give and how we actually structure our finances? Is this the best way this child is going to, should this child you know, study in this place or not? Our spiritual life is really tanking us. Why is this thing happening? I've been dealing with something I need to come out and explain to you because I need your prayers. Frequency of our engagement. When you look at both of them, they were talking to each other constantly, constantly, constantly. For those of you who are, who, who are fit fam, is there any couple here that is fit fam? Apart from my wife and I. <laughs> like, Okay, no, 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 no. Finish laughing. Then you explain. What, what, what's this about? Now, oh, wow. You know, you know, I know, I know, especially, let, let's say, where's Fulayo? Fulayo, where's Fulayo? Fulayo came third in, marathon, in the marathon, in the half marathon, right? Like in Lagos State, oh. Where's Timidayo? <laughs> Timidayo, just stand up. Let, let them see you. Timidayo will die before. <laughs> So let's say they can't do fit farm together because Fumi is just like, hurry up now, hurry up. And she's like, Fumi? Hey. So we don't want that. But maybe they can watch a movie together. One of the best times Tosi and I had in our marriage was between, I think, 2012 to 2014 or 2012 to when there was this TV show um, in England called Downton Abbey. Right? Uh, well, what happened? You want to find it for your marriage. <laughs> I understand. All right, so this TV show, I was running, and we loved it. It was always, it was every Sunday, the preparation to even have it. You know, Tofumi has to go to bed at 8. We already, dinner, she's cooking dinner. I'm bathing for him, 7.30, blah, blah, put it, rock him and everything, and then we put a, a cup of tea on, on, on fire, do all of it, and then we sit down. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it was wonderful. I would just sit down together, put the duvet, and just watch. Not thinking, we're just enjoying it. We talk about it during the week. It was bringing us together. Sometimes I think we waste our time. After you spend so much time away in work, away from each other, why is it that you also will have your own Netflix watching habit and the other person have that? Can you not watch something together? Obina, you're not married now. Stop nodding your head away. <laughs> We are taking the prayer. Receive it. But it hasn't yet. Don't, don't do that. You want to crash your marriage before it even begins. <laughs> the guy is doing like this. Ha! See this guy. Who? Find something. Be intentional about constant engagement. Yes, yeah, so both of you cannot watch football. Find, find something. There is something you can do. Both of you schedule going to the spa once every month. Find something. But ensure that engagement continues, short ones, long ones, and activities. Amen? Then, affirmation. 
and I should say this, sorry, back with the engagement, it is not the quality sometimes, it's not the quality, some say I'm not really enjoying this. Sometimes it's not the quality of the activity, but the quality of what is being achieved together. That's what you are aiming for. All right, affirmation. What role does compliment play in your marriages? You see, the opposite, remember, is discouragement. In my experience with many couples, and this has been explicitly said to me, and mostly by the women. As a guy, your constant critique of your wife, it affects them in terms of their self-worth, but also affects them in terms of their how they feel about how attractive they are. Particularly, some guys, you I don't know, maybe you are getting more of a high from your work, and so you neglect your wife. And many times, some people tell me, say, I don't feel attractive. And many men will be like, ah, but why did I marry you in the first place? Like, of course now, have I not told I told you that like when we got married, I told you how wonderful you look. How many times do I need to say it? Song of Solomon 1, verse 6. Do not stare at me. This is the woman talking. Do not stare at me because I am dark. Because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyard. My own vineyard I had to neglect. So obviously her skin was darker than, you know, and colorism was then. Colorism is still now. Right? You did be sure you did be sure. Right? Don't do it. She was, she was, she was conscious of her, her look, her appearance. For her, it's her skin. But for some ladies, it's, is it that my shape is not, is not good enough? Why doesn't he want me? How does he feel about me? You know, I say, ah, but I, I, you should know. What do you mean by I should know? There is a need for constant affirmation. The issue is not whether you said it before. The issue is whether you say it repetitively. If she is insecure about how she thinks you perceive her, believe me, she is not going to be willing to open herself up to you. Amen? The thought doesn't even enter her mind because she's always conscious. Now, you see, other people say it. Your voice matters than more than a thousand people saying it. I've often given this example. If you're a footballer today, if everybody here sit each other say, ah, well done, no, I'm sure you're a fantastic footballer. Ah, well done, good. Yeah, you may say, okay, uh, people, they saw you, you know, playing in Meadow Hall, you know, you scored like a hat-trick, three goals, and everybody said, ah, that guy is a fantastic, it's okay. But somehow, Jose Mourinho came for a scouting trip, and he saw you, and he said, man, you're a fantastic footballer. Comparing Mourinho's um, affirmation and all the people in City Church, which one matters more? <laughs> there are certain times that one person's opinion, because of who that person is, matters than a whole lot more people. And Solomon knew that. So that when they just got married in chapter 4 and it was about, they now want to consummate it. You know how we start? Solomon says in verse 7 of chapter 4. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Hey. 
Somebody said, that will preach. No flow in you. Remember I said he is intentionally hyperbolic. Because there is no human being that there is no flow in. But as far as he's concerned, to his own eyes, as far as she fits him, there is no flaw in her. But notice, he doesn't assume it and say it in his mind. He says it to her. In fact, he completes it in verse Because of this affirmation, and eventually we'll get into that, don't worry, there's more to say here. He boosts her confidence. Despite any perceived flaws. That's why in chapter 1, verse 5, even though she knows that she's dark, listen to what she says. Dark am I, yet what? Lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tents, the curtains of Solomon. Yes, so I may have tribal mark, but my tribal mark is a sign of royalty because that's what my husband says. And since he has said it, I don't care about what you say. All my energy, I don't charge my energy. I don't get time for any enemy. You understand? Can you charge your spouse's energy? That's the point. That's what Solomon said. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, okay, okay. I don't even know where that came from. (laughs) Even when, listen, you have to, you have to practice, celebrate your spouse, buy them gifts, be descriptive about why you find them lovely. Don't just say you are fine. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, there there are some days where you give this up, but sometimes describe it, break it down. Even when they are flawed, Right? Even if they have more flaws than they have good things, say the good ones. Occasionally say the good ones. It will lead to greater intimacy. In fact, it will warm things up for the greater passion ahead. So can I challenge you? If you are the kind of person that has been assuming, I am here to tell you your spouse does not like assumption. If you are the kind of person that has been assuming, can I give you one assignment this week? Just this from now to the end of the week. Every single day of the week. This is just the exercise. Every single day of the week. After you read your Bible and you pray in the morning, send your spouse a text about something good about them. And you'll come back and thank me later for what happens in the night. (laughs) Now, this is pushing us towards somewhere. Then you now have closeness. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. Scarcely had I passed him when I found the one my heart loves. So she had been looking for him. She had been moving towards him. And now she finds him. I like, ah, okay, I found you, yeah, let's go. No, she said what? I held him and would not let go. I held him and will not let go. You know what this means? After she has done the whole, you know, the motion thing to bring one another close, she says, For this intimacy to remain, I am going to strive. I am going to be determined to not let it end here. You see, there are many discouraging times in our relationship. Something has happened. Maybe you were, you know, everything was going up well. It was going, you know, on well. Maybe you you visited, you, you, you had married in Lagos talk. And for two weeks, and then the person did something that upsets you. I don't know if you spouses are like this. You didn't do it intentionally. You didn't even know what you did. Then she goes quiet. What's happening? You know this kind of silence. 
And of course, when you ask them, ah, is anything wrong, what do they say? Nothing, of course. And that, that is the sure sign that there's something going on. For those who are newly married, you say, ah, but, and you didn't go and apologize. You say, but she said there was nothing or there. <laughs> she has given you the clue. Like, don't, don't miss it. But sometimes, after a while, you two, you say, I'm tired of this silent treatment. You, you think you can do it? Oh, yeah, now be silent. If you know, <laughs> carry my phone. I'll show you I can be silent. And then we now start doing, uh, uh, who, who, eh? What? Silence, silence. Can, who is the first person? You know, the children will come in. How are you? Yeah, my mommy. Yeah, she's there. You know, the children will go. And then you just walk her. Sadly, um, you know, I said to say, and I fought on our way going. We fought again on our way coming back. <laughs> this one was really bad. It was worse than the first one. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not giving details. I'm not giving details. But it was, it was. What did somebody say? Pelumi, what did you say? Pelumi? Pelumi? Don't worry, appraisal is coming. So it happened the night before. I said, I'll show, I'll show her. You two, I know. I know I'm hurt. I'm really hurt. So I think she realized I was hurt. I wasn't happy. So she now, she actually apologized, sent a text, a good text, and all that. But this was my time to shine. <laughs> so you know what I did? I said, okay, thanks. <laughs> so the next morning, obviously, you sleep like that. The next morning, is now you have now entered it, so you can't be the first to blink. Right? So I'm like, how do I do it? Like, nothing, nothing. We're going to the airport. Nothing, nothing. You talk about, okay, we're going, this is our terminal. We're doing a high, blah, blah. And then slowly and surely, shame started to set in. And truth is, I moved from, and thank God for this. Again, this is grace of God. It's not me. I moved from, because this is our default mode. I moved from trying to show that I can do this thing more to like, come on, man. What is this achieving now? And there will be no reconciliation if she's the only willing party. And let me even say this to us men. A man is the head of the home, Abby. That means many times when there's an impasse, you are the one that has to lead by laying your life down. You must be determined to not let this thing go. Now, some of us are in various circumstances in our marriages. For some of us, that leading means that you are going to say, this thing is so bad, we have to see a marriage counselor. And for us men, stop saying you are the one that needs to go because you are the one with the problem. She says, I found my beloved. We got to this place and I will not let go. What are you determined to do? Having gone through all these steps, what are you determined to do to ensure that you don't let go? Amen? She says, I seemingly lost him before, but never again. This is why I say intimacy is something to fight for. And please don't mistake this thing. You may be going through a wonderful patch now, but intimacy comes in cycles. Something is going to break that, 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 um, this good run. The question is, how quickly are you able to rebound to get back into that? It has a lot to do with your determination. Which one of you is going to say, I will not let go? 
Now, if all those five things are there, let's talk about the result. The result of all of this is passionate, extremely beautiful, and romantic sex. If you follow this, your sex life will never be the same again. That's what Solomon says. Look in verses 1 to 5. You see, Solomon had already been intimate before. He didn't just, as I said, like that person that was my former church that just said, ah, we're just going to meet today, right? So women can just switch on the battery like that. Like someone said um, that, you know, with men and women, I think I've shared this here before, that men and women, when it comes, men and women, we're different. Men, women have one battery. Men have one bat have two batteries. So women, you know, you go to work. You do all the things that you need to do. You come back home, the children, blah, blah. The battery is going from top. It's going all the way down. So by the time you now get to like 9.30 PM, the battery is down. Do you understand? So you don't feel like doing anything. But the men, you go to work. You spend everything you do. You drive, you whatever. The battery is going, going, going. It goes to empty. So how is it that men? At that 9.30, I still like, <laughs> you don't start smiling. You don't start talking in your stomach, looking like only <laughs> as though she doesn't know the size of it. You don't start using your leg to touch her leg as though, ah, are you asleep? <laughs> you know why? It's because men, for sex, men have a separate battery. <laughs> so it's about, you know when you invert her, right? You switch to the next battery. So men wake up. That's why. But Solomon understood that I need to be there for this woman. That is, there's a way I can put more fuel into the battery. That is the romance. So he's been working at this intimacy right from time. In fact, when he saw her, immediately, he didn't just say, ah, I've been waiting for this all my life. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's get down. In verse 1, he said, no, let's take it easy. How beautiful you are, my darling. <laughs> oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil. Our doves, he was caressing. He was stroking. He was moving in gently. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Hi! I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. <laughs> he becomes very descriptive. And one of the things I've not understood is how he's fascinated by fruits. Pomegranate, you know. Look at it. It says in verse 3, your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. In verse 12 to 14, he goes there again. He says, before he talked about choice fruits, he says, your plants, in verse 13, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits. Choice fruits. And you're like, and you're like why fruits? Why fruits? I'm sure that's something that they used to say then. Maybe we, we don't say it again. We don't describe with fruit. Well, maybe we should see this video will help us. Baby, get it something. something. I want that baby. Baby, not sweet papa. If it's good for Solomon and it's good for flavor, it's good for me. <laughs> Guys, let me ask you. When last have you carried your wife and say, ha! Something, you have something, you have something. You're a fresh watermelon. 
he was, he was aiming, he was aiming, but he didn't go direct. He said, your, your breasts are like fawns of a gazelle. In other words, when he's saying that, you think, ah, gazelle, gazelle is a smaller, um, a smaller, is it antelope or something? Deer. So how do you treat a small deer? You don't treat the deer like a big deer. You treat them gently. So you know that was he's saying, I'm approaching gently. Now, if you removed the context, if you put Song of Solomon and you go to just four, just like that, and you remove the context of everything I've said, this will be lewd. This will be profane. This will be pornographic. But he was working towards it. Presence, openness. What's next? Engagement. What's next? Huh? Affirmation, which leads to closeness, and that gets you to passion. So at this point, the guy starts to lose his head. After he's going, in fact, he even calls her, he starts to describe her. After he's moved from um, uh, pomegranates, he then moves to spices. She's the spice of his life. Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, these things are, they are extremely, they're extremely, he's now, it's not, his emotions and his, his passion is just running wild because he's not saying anything that makes sense because you actually, you cannot grow, you cannot grow pomegranate and cinnamon in the same place. It's impossible, literally. But he has created, he, he's just seen her and he's just like, oh my God, it's all going. He calls the most expensive spice saffron because there's nothing else that would describe her. If you're a woman and he's doing all of this to you, what are you going to say? My beloved, just come. That's what she said in verse 16. Look at it. Awake north wind and come south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste the choice fruits. This is the Bible. I'm not. It's the Bible. So people are saying, oh, my, I've not read this book. <laughs> I, need to, I need to go and read it. She loves the way he's, he's gushing all over her. And you can tell because the way she talks about her husband to her friends, the friends are like, who is your husband? Why, why is he even... You're talking about him like he's the only one. They ask her in, in verse 9 of chapter 5, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? Why are you disturbing us every time about him? He said, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Hey, if my wife says that one about me, the kind of preaching that would be in this, in this church here, eh? But it's, what, what are you noticing there? She's reciprocating. Because, guys, you need to understand that when you build all of these things, when you are moving towards, when you are affirming, when you are opening up yourself, and now you start to describe your wife in all of these things, as she is passionate, women, you need to understand that men, we like reciprocity. But not in the same way, necessarily. When women like what is given to them, men like the fact that when we are doing that which is nice to you, you are telling us back what it is. You are, you are telling us, wow, you are just, you are, ah. You. 
Okay, we have already started. Let's go in. Why do you think that men, during the activity, start to ask you to say something to them? The most lewd ones will say, who is your daddy? But that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> but when they now say, well, it's constant. This is whether Christian or not Christian, they'll be saying, men will be saying, is this good? Do you like it? Are you, do, you know, do you understand? And then you'll just be silent. No, it's not the time to be silent. Because men love reciprocity. Tell us back that what we are doing is good. Again, before people say this is really X-rated, yes, it's intimacy. This is what the Bible, I'm, again, I'm teaching the Bible, am I not? But it is true. We are created for this thing. And that's why by her talking about how outstanding, she said there are 10,000 men, but he is number one. You will look at the guy, short, to, uh, 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 pot belly. Um, you know, uh, wearing pink uh, trousers. All of those things are like, this one among 10,000 is her own. Because of what he does for her. Can I tell you this? All I've just painted for you, do you know that this is as far from a pornographic movie as you can ever find? Because to achieve this kind of thing, notice that I did not say anything about a technique. Should you be on top? Should you be from behind? Should you? All of those things are... They remove sex from the beauty and the elegance and the wonderful picture that God has created it for. Reducing something as wonderful as this to just say, well, if you are on top, and you do, I mean, really? It never tells us anything about their positions. It tells us everything about their interaction, the building of their intimacy. When that happens, then you will be able to have passion sex. Because look, if you look on the TV and it says, do this technique, some people have physical deformities that does not allow them to enjoy that technique. So you can't replicate that. But here's what you can replicate. You can love your spouse more than you love yourself. You can go after your spouse. You can affirm your spouse. You can be open to your spouse. Risk it can forgive your spouse. And then when you hold on and you get this thing, you can be determined never to let it go. When you set that within the context, if that is the context of the kind of sex that you want to have, or the way you do it is immaterial. It will be wonderful. Amen? In fact, in verse 6 of chapter 4, Solomon says, I want to be here all night long. He said, we are going to be doing it all night long. Again, hyperbolic. But it's like, who would want to leave this place? I should close now, but I want to say this. There are some of us here now that we hear all of this and now say, wow, all right, I'm never going to achieve that. Worse still, there are some of us that will say, that was my ambition when we got married, but I've totally messed up my marriage. I've seen on those five things that you said, I, I, I have crossed the opposite of all of them. I have signed my register on them. In fact, letting me, by, by diagnosing this, you have just shown me truly, a more, in a more categorized sense, how much of a failure I am. And so you're asking, is there even any hope for me? Can I speak to you directly and say this? Don't get paralyzed because you may be missing the ultimate point of this book. You see, it does paint an ideal picture 
such that, of course, when we measure ourselves by the ideal picture, we will all be failures. We can't achieve this. Like we, uh, Solomon couldn't. And I agree, some of us are more broken than others. We've cheated on our spouses. We've neglected our spouses. We've rather than affirm them, we've constantly berated them. We've not opened up to them. We've constantly rejected them. And now you're thinking, this isn't for me. Can I point you to a more realistic marriage picture? If you think it's not for you. It's one that is between Jesus and his church. You see, unlike here, where she is giving and he is giving, and that leads to a fantastic culmination, with Jesus, he is perfect and we are broken. In spite of our brokenness, though, he came to us to establish a relationship. Because of our brokenness, he went to the cross to pay for our consequences. Despite our brokenness, he will perfect us one day so that we will be the bride that he wants us to be. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In other words, what am I saying? If you are the one that has been at fault in your relationship, don't worry. Repent, because the truth is that all of us together, even that your spouse, when we look at the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, we are the ones that always mess up that relationship. But guess what? Jesus Christ is not done with you. Because Jesus Christ is not done with his church. The goal is that in all our brokenness, the goal in all, in all the ways we mess up is that he is cleansing us and he is making us holy. And the goal is that he will present us perfect. If Jesus has not given up on you, don't give up on yourself. You may have fallen many times in your marriage, but there is hope for you. Why? Because Jesus died for you and rose again. Don't give up on that marriage. And for the one who has been maybe hurt more times, if you perceive yourself to be that person, don't give up on the person that Jesus has not given up. Because notice this, Jesus hasn't given up on you either. And as I said before, for some of us, that means that we have to invite other people into this. But this is how we show our determination. This is how we show our faith that Jesus is able to put this thing back together. For some of us, we just need to enter into prayer. For some of us, we need to be more reflective. We need to think less about the other person and think about ourselves. But don't lose hope in the gospel. God was the one that created marriage. God was the one that created us for intimacy. But God was the one that saw that we are broken and many times we break our marriage. And yet God was the one that sent Jesus. He gave him up for us so that not only can our relationship with him be restored, our relationship with one another can be restored. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.